Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, because I'm with you. Aw, I love you. I know. So what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to talk about Season 7 of The Clone Wars. It's kind of still fresh, and um, it was pretty amazing, and so it's worth covering now. If you haven't watched it, spoiler alert, we're talking about everything, so just... It's all spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, season seven came out uh, in like, what, like the last three months or so? Yeah, something like that. And before that, season six came out in on Netflix in 2014. And prior to that, season five was on like Disney at the like 2012 to 2013. So this was a big hiatus, right? Yeah, it was a big gap. I think it would. I think the original aired on Cartoon Network. Most of the show came out before Disney bought Star Wars. Really? Yeah, and so it was on. Um, it aired on Cartoon Network, and that was really why. That was why season six came out on Netflix. Was they produced a lot of it, but they hadn't aired it yet. And then Disney bought the bought Star Wars. Cartoon Network no longer had the rights. And then they had all this content. And for some reason, Disney was okay with putting it on Netflix. I don't remember any of that, but I will just take your word for it. Yeah. And so that was, you know, seven, eight years ago. And it was well known that there was more content that had been written. So there were three or four storylines that were written um, and even bits and pieces of the scripts were leaked and people always wanted to see them and it took them forever to get around to, to producing them. But the, the storylines included the Bad Batch, which we'll talk about, um, the Siege of Mandalore. And there was one that, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was a Darth Maul story that did not make the cut, uh, but it got released as a series of comic books. Right. And I mean, I guess like just kind of showing my age or just, level of uncoolness like I'm totally okay with with comic books and I enjoy comics and as you know there are lots of things that you know Batman Marvel all of that I I love comics but I hate reading actual comic books I feel like they take way too long and it's just way too much effort and I'd much rather watch you know a half hour episode or a movie or something about comics so I'm always bummed out when I find out that the stories continued in comic book form but what are you going to do? Yeah, that makes sense. I did, for what it's worth, I, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but I did find the Maul story. Uh, somebody took the comic books, made a YouTube video where they showed um, like kind of, you know, pictures from the comic book and then narrated over it with a narrator. So it was kind of like watching an audio book of the comic book as best as that can be. It wasn't quite as good as watching an animated episode, but it was something. All right, well, let's get into it. So season seven of The Clone Wars, again, this entire episode is going to be spoilers. So we've kind of touched on season seven in some of our more recent podcasts, but now like all spoilers are off. So, you know, get ready. Um, But really, it's three parts, but it's only two storylines. So as you mentioned, Kevin, we've got the beginning four episodes, which are the bad bat. Then we've got the remaining eight episodes that span Ahsoka's storyline. And it's kind of broken out into uh, two four-episode parts. We've got one with the Martez sisters and one with the Siege of Mandalore. So, you know, the whole timing of what all's happening is really confusing. So why don't you walk us through this? Yeah. So all of this takes place at the very end of the Clone Wars. um, And kind of working backwards, the Siege of Mandalore sequence takes place during 
um, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. So there are references during those four episodes to what is actually happening in the movie, and they run exactly concurrently. And so then working backwards from there, the, um, the Martez sisters story arc happens just before the Bad Batch story arc. So even though they aired the Bad Batch and then the Martez sisters and then the Siege of Mandalore, they, the uh, Martez sister sequence actually takes place just before the Bad Batch. But all of these things take place over the course of, I'd have to say, probably about two weeks. Some of the timing isn't exactly right, but the Siege of Mandalore is only like three or four days. The Bad Batch is about a day and a half, and the Martez Sisters sequence could be as long as a week and a half, maybe two weeks, but not much more than that. Right. So the Martez Sisters are two women, uh, Rafa and Trace, and Ahsoka stumbles across Trace because, you know, she's been cast out of the Jedi Order, invited back, refuses to join. And then has to like go and do some soul searching. So if this was like 1992, she would be backpacking around Europe, but that's not really a thing. So instead, she kind of goes to the like lower levels of Coruscant on a motorcycle. Yeah, basically. I mean, she buys a speeder bike and she's trying to figure out what to do. And her speeder bike's junk and it crashes onto uh, Rafa's. She's got kind of like a landing landing pad slash workshop where she keeps a starship she's working on and I guess does odd jobs for people. Yeah, and so I thought Trace was oh, the I'm sorry. sister. You're right. Tra- yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. She crashed on Trace and then meets Rafa later. Yeah. yeah, so Trace is the sister. She's kind of a mechanic. She seems genuinely nice, a little bit apprehensive of strangers, of course, but, you know, relatively, you know, a good person. She unfortunately has an older sister who's not that great. Yeah. Her older sister is like kind of a, pre- a petty criminal, uh, kind of runs some scams. She somehow owns like a laundromat and she uses that as a front to do various things for various like small time crime lords. And she ends up getting her sister into a deal with uh, the Pikes. Right, because as we know, the crime syndicates kind of run the galaxy aside from the separatists or the Republic. So you've got these crime syndicates running. And if you're not part of the government and you're not like really emotionally involved enough to be part of the separatist movement, then that's where you fall into. Yeah. And this is, of course, part of Darth Sidious's plan, right? He right, he foments um, these crime syndicates gaining power so that as the Republic falls and the separatists fall, then he has a reason to, you know, impose order um, on the crime syndicates that he helped put in power. Right. Right. It's part of his whole wheels within wheels, three dimensional chess. He really is playing some three dimensional chess out there. He he totally is. And everyone else is maybe connect four. Like he's really just so far ahead of everyone else. What what's really interesting though, I I think, is just kind of learning about the different culture that exists on Curasant. So everything that we've seen on Curasant thus far has been kind of like the high level. It's been beautiful. You see the clouds, you see all these affluent uh you know legislators you see fancy spacecraft you see jedi you see people just constantly having cocktail hour i I mean just generally a really different level of what we thought the rest of the galaxy was because there's like the outer rim which is you know job of the hut that kind of thing but then here we are on the exact same planet where all these fancy things are happening you go down a few levels and you've got crime, you've got poverty, you've just got this drastic despair, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it's something that you know in legends in the legends canon books. There's been there was a a lot of of stuff written about that, so this wasn't a huge surprise to me seeing it. But this is sort of the first time that we really delve into that, other than a couple of little like stops um, that we've seen bits and pieces of in in the movies and things. But yeah, so this is sort of a first look at the at the culture that is not part of the Clone Wars, right? Because like one of the things that you know everybody always forgets um, is that as much as the Jedi and the Separatists were involved in this conflict, most of the galaxy was just sort of going about their lives, right? They Like, most people were not soldiers, especially in a war that was being fought by droids and clones that were created specifically to fight the war. The vast majority of the, the people in the, in the galaxy had nothing to do with it other than feel the fallout of it. Right, so this basically shows why there's no faith or trust in the Jedi or the Republic, which makes them a very easily malleable group of people to influence once the Emperor takes control. That's right. And it, I mean, in, in, in exactly in that point, um, the Martez sisters, you know, of course, Ahsoka, you know, she hides her past and she hides the fact that she was ever a Jedi. And even more so when she hears them tell the story of... Um, they lived in an apartment with their parents when uh, the Jedi were chasing down Zero the Hut, which is actually an episode, I think, in season two, I believe, of the Clone Wars. Zero the Hut was featured in the like in the movie, the film that that sort of kicked off the Clone Wars show. And then um, he eventually escapes from prison. And during his escape, the Jedi chase him around Coruscant and end up like crashing a ship into a, a building. And it turns out that the Martez sisters' parents died in that crash. And they said the Jedi were more concerned about fighting this criminal than protecting them. And then when they came, you know, the Jedi came to see them afterwards and just said, the, you know, the force will be with you and did nothing to help them. Right. That's not really reassuring. That doesn't instill a level of trust. And it just, you know, continues to basically burn bridges between the Jedi as being the keepers of the peace and actual warriors. But it turns out they're not really good warriors either. So um, the storyline between Ahsoka and the Martez sisters is very loose. Uh, it, it takes four episodes, but really, like, it doesn't need to. It just it, it kind of just shows that the type of people in the galaxy and Ahsoka is doing her best to hide who she used to be. Yeah, I don't think the plot matters as much as sort of the character and thematic developments, right? And I think the three or two or three important things that came out of it is the Jedi story I just told, um, you know, Ahsoka's sort of introspection into who she is and who she wants to be and realizing that she still wants to fight for justice and protect people. And then third, there's a little bit of a revelation um, that Maul is still alive and, and, and kicking. Because remember, the last time we saw Maul, he lost a fight with Sidious and Sidious took him away. We, don't, we didn't know where. It turns out in that the aforementioned uh, Maul story, we find out how he breaks out of prison and gets back into power in the syndicates. But basically, we see evidence that Maul is running the syndicates. Ahsoka sees Maul in a hologram talking to the Pike leadership and some of the other, you know, the other crime leadership, and um, and so we kind of get that that view of what's going on in, in that part of the galaxy again. Right. So loose storyline basically. Trace is the younger sister. Her older sister Rafa gets them involved with the Pikes. They're supposed to run spice and. You know, Ahsoka's with Trace at the time, and so the two of them join Rafa, and then Ahsoka's like, are you kidding? Running Spice, why are we drug dealers? 
terrible. Trace freaks out. She drops the drugs. They're floating in space. And then they show up to this uh, this planet with the pikes and they're empty handed, which uh, I don't have a lot of experience with drug lords. But my understanding is they don't just let that like go without notice. So then shenanigans ensue, constant escapades of trying to escape from the pikes. And then to your point, you know, they eventually do. And Ahsoka finds out that, you know, Maul is still around. Yeah, that's right. And then this story arc sort of ends with um, we see that on uh, the Pike planet, um, there are a few, there are a handful of Mandalorians, and it turns out that it's Bo-Katan, and she sees Ahsoka there, doesn't know that Ahsoka has been thrown out of the Jedi Order, approaches her, and sort of asks for her help um, in something to come. Right, and where all do we know Bo-Katan from? So Bo-Katan is a Mandalorian. She was originally a member of Death Watch. Um, so she was part of the revolt against Duchess Satine, but it turns out she's actually Duchess Satine's sister. Um, after Maul murders Satine, she turns on Death Watch. She helps Kenobi escape, and um, Kenobi leaves her sort of in in not quite in charge of, but you know, leading the charge for justice on Mandalore, uh, and and tries to promise that he'll come back with a force. He doesn't, and so she's been sort of working in the anti-Maul anti-Olmec, anti-Gar Saxon um, sort of side of the Mandalorian Civil War since uh, the death of, of Duchess Satine. Right. And didn't we leave her with the Darksaber? Um, no, because we're in the last we saw the Darksaber at this point was Maul. Maul was fighting Sidious using the Darksaber. Right. Right. So it Bo- gets lost at some point. Yeah, and and Maul ends up keeping it because we Bo-Katan does eventually get the dark saber again, but long in the future. Okay. Okay. So let let's kind of go to the concurrent storyline now. So what what's going to transpire is the siege of Mandalore, but you know, kind of right before that, going at the exact same time to our knowledge as Marta's storyline is we've got the Bad Batch. And who are the Bad Batch, Kevin? So the Bad Batch are, um, it's a group of what I think four clones. They're kind of special forces. Um, and they're all clones that have a beneficial genetic deformity. Right. So they've all been lumped together because they didn't like pass the test of matching the same way the rest of the clones do. So we've got four guys named Hunter, Wrecker, Crosshair, and Tech. Yeah. And each of their nicknames kind of outlines what their what their special power is. But they basically they're they're kind of souped up uh, they're souped up clones. They um their their group is called Clone Force ninety nine, which is named after um an an old clone who was defective in in a, in a bad way. Um and is end up ends up as basically a, a washout from the military. He's I think a like a janitor. He ages extremely fast. We got, we see him when the separatists attack Camino, and he's kind of a rallying point for some young cadets, and then also Rex and uh, and a few others who come back of the five hundred first come back to defend Camino. He ends up dying in that battle, and so in honor of him, his his clone ID number was ninety nine because he was defective. They call the the group Clone Force ninety nine. Gotcha. And what's the point of these four episodes that we see with these guys? Not entirely clear, uh, honestly. It's you know people seem to really like. There's a, a positive response to them, you know, out in the world, but I'm I'm not really clear what they show. Again, there are some thematic things around them uh, that that are kind of valuable, but the the plot of their of of the Bad Batch arc is that uh, the 501st um, under Anakin Skywalker and 
Kenobi and I think Mace Windu is in on this too, where they, they kind of all say, hey, we're getting beat and by uh, Admiral Trench, who's the big spider guy, um, Admiral. And they don't understand why, because they said the clones seem to be adapting to their tactics in a way that they'd never seen before. And so they start to investigate and they find out that Trench Wait, has... the clones or I'm sorry, the droids? The droids yeah. are adapting in a way that they never have before. Yeah, and the droids are always like one move ahead. And it doesn't make sense because all of our experiences with the droids, we've seen them basically be doofuses. That's so. right. Yeah. And so they, um, so they try to investigate what's going on and they end up finding, um, finding out that Trench has some algorithm... And and so Kenobi ends up bringing in the Bad Batch to help out Rex and the 501st. Um, and they get sent on a special ops mission to assault a communications post on this planet that the, the, uh, the Republic and the Separatists are fighting over. And they end up finding a signal that's, that's being bounced around. And it sounds like it's a person. And in fact, it sounds like it's a person using um, Echo's clone ID number. Right. And... Rex is along for the ride and he realizes that all of the plans are things that he and Echo previously had talked about. So that's when he starts thinking that Echo's totally alive and this isn't a mission about like defeating the Separatists, it's a mission about retrieving Echo. That's right. And retrieve him they do. So they fight their way. They go to uh, Wat Tambor who is the head of the Techno Union Army, one of his base planets, and they fight through a whole situation and some wacky new droids and things um, and end up finding Echo basically plugged into a computer. He's kind of like a Star Trek Borg at this point. And they rescue him. They, um, you know, they he helps them destroy the base. And then in the end, he joins the Bad Batch as the fifth member. Right, because he doesn't fit in with the rest of the clones anymore. He's still like too into battle to like go back to civilian life so this is his home um the other thing that the storyline at the very beginning we see some interaction between obi-wan padme and anakin and this is like if you look at the movie uh in the revenge of the sith padme reveals to anakin at the beginning of that movie that she's pregnant and he's gonna be a dad what's interesting so this is happening you know two weeks to four weeks perhaps before that movie starts and apparently she's not showing and Anakin doesn't notice um but they're having this like romantic interlude discussion and you know tell us what happens Kevin um so Anakin has Rex sort of posted outside where he's having this hollow call with with her and um and you know tells him to watch out for uh Kenobi because he's trying to hide it and then Obi-Wan walks up and he's like hey Rex Anakin in there and uh, Rex's like, uh, yeah, I guess so, maybe. And so Anakin comes out and, and Obi-Wan just like, hey, say hi to Padme for me. Um, so Anakin thinks that he's getting away with it. Obi-Wan totally knows that they're, that they're talking on the side. How much more of their relationship he knows about isn't really clear, but it's pretty, pretty obvious that he knows what's going on. Yeah, and it, truthfully, it doesn't really matter if Obi-Wan knows if they're married or if they've got just some general attachment, you know. Like, all he does know is that this is a weakness for Anakin in his movement forward within the Jedi Order. And it's something he's got to keep an eye on. Unfortunately, he doesn't nip it in the bud. And here we are. And then ultimately, Vader happens and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Obi-Wan made a few mistakes. Yeah, a couple. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. We're all human. That's right. Um, And so, in the end, I don't know. The Bad Batch is really just... it's. 
it's some interesting, like there's some good clone fighting. There's a little bit more of this sort of theme that runs through a lot of the Clone Wars about, um, you know, clones being individuals. And then other than that, um, and that little bit with uh, with him and Padme, there's really not not much that's super noteworthy really in the in the thing. Uh, oh, one last thing. Anakin does uh, very much kill Admiral Trench. And it's a situation where he doesn't absolutely have to kill him, right? He kind of, he's got him trapped. He has him like held at lightsaber point and, um, and Trench, you know, like takes a swing at him or tries to stun him with something or something. And Anakin disarms him and then just goes ahead and runs him through with his lightsaber. Which, you know, like wouldn't be that big of a deal, except for the fact that this is just the slippery slope, um, of Anakin being very comfortable with killing. And, and that's ultimately what makes him pliable for, you know, Sidious. Yeah. But, you know, like, it, they're in battle. They've been through war for, what, four, five, six years. Like, they've been killing for a long time. Yeah, no, I'm not yeah. saying the Trench doesn't have it coming, but it is, uh, it is a precursor to kind of the murder of Count Dooku, right? Where he's got an opponent, he's got him defeated, he doesn't have to kill him at this point. And he does it anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So so that brings us to the final four episodes, which, you know, I thought was really cool because we started watching season seven and I just wasn't that into it with all of the, you know, clone episode. And then the Martez sisters, I was kind of like, who are these people and why do they matter? And then all of a sudden the last four episodes, it the animation at the beginning is different. The music is off the charts. It, it's just... Like, I don't know if it was John Williams who did it, but it was really good. Yeah, it was produced as if it's a as if it's really a feature length film up to up to and including the fact that instead of being, you know, there are there are a few differences to other Clone Wars episodes. First of all, it starts out with the actual um, Star Wars sort of fanfare music. It doesn't use the Clone Wars music. Um, it the you know at the beginning of every Clone Wars episode, there's a little kind of aphorism or thematic little proverb or something, and these ones don't have that. They just say part one, part two, part three, and part four, and they're really built like they are a single a single unit, right? They they release them as four episodes, but you could easily see this being released as you know a, a feature length film, right? And the names of the four episodes, I think, were perhaps the best four named episodes of the entire series. Like, you know, it, it just, it resonates and the meaning is so important behind it. So the, the four names are Old Friends Not Forgotten, The Phantom Apprentice, which, you know, I thought was very well done, uh, Shattered, and Victory and Death. Yeah, very. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they hit the nose on, or... Hit the nail on the head, hit yes. him on the nose. Hit him on the nose, yes. <laughs> nail on the head, there you go. Um, it, it's just really very well done. And so, you know, the music ties it all together, the action ties it all together, and the plot is just, it's what we were waiting for in all of season seven. Yeah. I mean, this really is like some peak Star Wars, and we've watched them a couple times now. I'll watch them again. And this, the, both the 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 tight integration with what happens in episode three and just all of the things that happen in this make it some of the, some of the best content in, you know, the whole Star Wars, all of the media. Right. It's yeah. very Star Wars. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, walk us through what happens, Kevin. Yeah. So it starts out sort of where the where the Martez sister sequence ended with uh, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka com uh, reaching out to um, Anakin and Obi-Wan 
and asking permission to come aboard their cruiser and asking for their help. And so when the message comes in, Admiral Yularen uh, receives it and he radios down to the Jedi and says, hey, there's a communication coming in. I think you guys need to fly up here and take it. And, and Anakin's kind of like, oh, fine. Like, uh, you know, like what, what brings us all the way up here? And then when he sees Ahsoka on the, on, the, on the hologram, he almost breaks down. Like he's shocked that he's seeing her. He is clearly not over, you know, her leaving the Jedi Order. Um, and he's really excited to see her again. And so they say, yeah, of course, come in. And basically they reveal that Bo-Katan and her crew have found Maul on Mandalore again. And they have an opportunity to take him out. And they ask for the Republic's help. And it gets into a whole political situation where Obi-Wan kind of says, well, Mandalore's neutral, so we can't invade. Um, but Bo-Katan says she considers herself sort of a rifle representative and is asking for their help. And, um, and then Ahsoka starts sort of lecturing Obi-Wan on you know, him choosing politics over, uh, over helping people. And that theme runs throughout the four episodes. She and Obi-Wan get into a few arguments over that. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, ultimately they have to decide whether or not they're going to, going to, to help them out. And you see Ahsoka sort of interacting with a few different Jedi Masters. She talks to Mace Windu. She talks to Yoda. She talks to Anakin, of course, and Obi-Wan. And each of them sort of treat her a little bit differently because of her choices. Right. And I, I think the really interesting thing is that Anakin is so glad to have her back. Yoda wants to have her back, but doesn't show like a ton of emotion about it. Obi-Wan is skeptical, but appreciative of who Ahsoka is. And I think Mace Windu is the most jaded. And Mace Windu, I think, reflects kind of why Ahsoka doesn't ever come back to the Jedi Order. Yeah, I think a combination of Mace Windu and Obi-Wan, honestly, right? Obi-Wan is very politically motivated and is doing things, you know, for the Republic and for the Senate and for the Chancellor. And yeah, and, and then Mace Windu is very jaded and has no compassion. I think Yoda, yeah, he shows very little emotion. I think he just is trying to respect her choice and would like her to come back. But, you know, he wishes her well anyway. Right, and if Ahsoka wasn't too proud to just say what she felt, and the fact that she feels that she can only say what she truly believes in front of Anakin, I think is a great setback. So, you know, she's got these thoughts and inklings, and then there's all this political maneuvers happening, and ultimately, because she doesn't get a further opportunity to speak with Anakin, no one ever knows what she's thinking or feeling and vice versa. And because she's no longer within the Jedi Order, the Jedi Council doesn't share stuff with her that I think would have been helpful for them to share. But ultimately, Anakin kind of says, okay, well, I've got business to attend to. Obi-Wan has business to attend to. The Jedi Order is not going to do what you say because you're not part of them. So we'll give you like a... troop of clones and they'll go with you to Mandalore. Yeah. Um, do you think that maybe the reason that she will only tell these things to Anakin is a, is a failure of the Jedi kind of Padawan master system that she has a close relationship with him, but really no one else to the point that she doesn't trust any of the rest of the Jedi? Completely agree. And that that's the problem with the master apprentice relationship is there's too much loyalty to them and not enough But then at the same time, like the loyalty to like the force or whatever, 
really holds them back because they're like so bound by all these rules and restrictions and really it should be a loyalty to the greater good and they're not really focused on that yeah but yeah so um so again this runs in parallel with episode three so just as they're debating whether or not to go help mandalore they're ordered to come to coruscant because general grievous has attacked the planet and kidnapped the chancellor and so um kidnapped the well whatever (laughs) yes (laughs) Yes. um yeah it's a podcast you guys couldn't see my finger quotes but yes (laughs) yes. and so um basically obi-wan says well you guys too bad we can't help you and anakin tries to come up with a creative solution into what you said they basically divide the 501st in half and they give uh, a rex a promotion and put him in charge because ahsoka can't be in charge of of a clone battalion because she's no longer in the uh in the the army of the republic and then they all head off to Mandalore. Obi-Wan and Anakin head off to Coruscant to do what we all know that they do there. And, um, and so now Rex and Bo-Katan and Ahsoka are there to, to sort of take over Mandalore um, by force, uh, you know, depose uh, Prime Minister Olmec or, or whoever's in charge. Yeah, I think Olmec's still in charge, right? And then, um, and then try to find and capture Maul. And Obi-Wan sort of parting words um, in person anyway to Ahsoka. She says, you know, uh, Anakin gives her her lightsabers back. And for some reason he turned them blue. And I still don't understand how and why he did that. But um, Obi-Wan says to her, uh, you should probably capture Maul. I've killed him a couple times. He's pretty hard to keep dead. Which is... Which accurate. is accurate and uh, so true of so both like dry and Obi-Wan and also very mall. Right. And I, I think the like final scene between Anakin and Ahsoka is, you know, not nearly as emotional as it would have been if they had known that was the last time they were going to see each other. And I think it's really clear in Ahsoka's eyes that she thinks she's going right back to go see Anakin and potentially to join the Jedi Order after she's done with this. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and you know, of course that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Um, but anyway, so they go off to Mandalore and there's a couple little skirmishes and and things, um, as they take over the planet. There's a really cool sequence where, um, they're landing on, they're, they're heading down and they're landing on the planet and, um, they start getting attacked by Mandalorians and jetpacks and their landing craft are being attacked. And so Rex and a bunch of his guys have jetpacks and they jump out of of their their ship and they say to Soka, oops we forgot to bring you a jetpack and she says don't worry about it i'll race you to the surface and there's a cool like running battle where she's jumping from ship to ship and they're all jetpacking down and the music lines up exactly with the music um at the beginning of episode three in the space battle so it uses a musical cue to show you that those two things are happening simultaneously um, and so then they, long story short, they end up taking back control of Mandalore relatively quickly. And then they go about finding, trying to find Maul and, um, and they run into him sort of in the sewers, uh, where he's hiding with his gang and Ahsoka, you know, he sort of lured Ahsoka there and he's very surprised that Ahsoka is the Jedi who is leading the clones. Right. Because we've talked about Maul before and we've talked about his desire to have an apprentice. And so... You know, he's also got this huge revenge thing that he has to kill Obi-Wan, you know, blah, blah, blah. Super focused. Or or put him in prison for a while and then not kill him. Right. Super focused on revenge either way. But, you know, like he's got this whole thing that he's looking for his apprentice or he's looking for Obi-Wan. And then all of a sudden he winds up with Ahsoka and he was hoping it was going to be Obi-Wan and Anakin. And then he's like, oh, 
I might take you as my new apprentice. And Ahsoka's totally not having it. That's right. Um, And, you know, so just sort of a background on this. It was well known um, going into these episodes that um, there's that there was an an impending fight between Ahsoka and Maul. And Ray Park actually returned uh, to do a motion capture sequence of that battle because the animators felt like they couldn't do it justice doing straight animation. And in a in a nice little nod to that at at the sort of first point where Ahsoka and Maul um, run into each other. Uh, she gets ready to fight him and he says, not yet. And then he kind of blasts her with the force and then turns and runs away. And it was kind of like him saying that to her, but also to the rest of us like, nope, it's not time yet. And uh, and that fight comes up later. Right. And, and it was really cool, too, because we've talked about some of our favorite lightsaber fights. And, you know, the duel of the fates is, you know, I think pretty much the best one. But, you know, this whole fight sequence is really very well done. And they're on these like, and it's a few episodes that it kind of they, they just continue to spar. And, you know, there's a lot of balance. There's, you know, running across these beams. There's Ahsoka's dual sabers. There's her being super nimble. There's Maul being really, really talented swordsman. And, you know, there's also this ongoing battle on Mandalore between, you know, what's left of the rogue government that's going to be overthrown and then Bo-Katan. So it's really a lot of cool things happening all at once. Yeah. And so they kind of keep coming back, you know, in various in various bits and pieces. And they refer to things that are happening in episode three. So like after they've secured the planet and first found Maul, um, Obi-Wan, you know, communicates and he starts telling Ahsoka about, um, you know, Anakin being ordered to spy on the Chancellor. And she's like, he's not going to like that. And he says, I know. And that's why I think you should talk to him. You know, the council's not always right about everything. And he he kind of asks if she has anything that she wants to to like leave a message for him. And she's like, no, 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 I'll talk to him myself. And then some other things happen. And then she ends up talking to him again. And she says, hey, where's Anakin? I want to talk to him. And Anakin is, um, he's now informing the chancellor that they know where Grievous is. And again, kind of Obi-Wan asks if there's anything that, you know, she wants to leave as a message. And she's like, no, no, I'll talk to him. She's And, and she says, but Obi-Wan tell him. And then she sort of turns away. And what I think maybe she's doing is sort of reminding Obi-Wan to tell Anakin how he feels about things. And this sequentially in the movie happens right before the scene where Obi-Wan is leaving to go fight General Grievous and they have that like last conversation between Obi-Wan and Anakin and he's he kind of gushes in a way that isn't really typical of Obi-Wan where he's like you're a great you've been a great apprentice and you're a you're a stronger and wiser Jedi than I'll ever be and they have that kind of whole moment where like Obi-Wan tells him how proud he is of him and all that kind of stuff and you have to wonder if that's a little bit because Ahsoka prompted him to like tell Anakin how he's feeling because Anakin's probably feeling conflicted right now. Yeah, very well uh, could have happened. So, you know, we, we've got all this happening. Then Maul gets captured and it turns out that the Mandalorians have one last chamber where you can like store Jedi in. It, it's some kind of like arcane crude thing that like I, I guess is kind of the equivalent of like a weapon of mass destruction except the like torture prison of mass destruction I don't know something like that but it's the it's their like last one remember yeah 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 but it seemed like it was one of those like cruel things that they weren't supposed to have 
No, I, I think it was just a thing that, that Satine ordered all of them destroyed because she was trying to make peace with the Jedi. Because remember, the Mandalorians and the Jedi fought many wars against each other. Right. And it wasn't like a torture device, but it was just a way that you could capture a Jedi and hold them without them having access to the Force. Yeah, doesn't like that a, seem like torture? Well, kind of, but it also seems like the way that you keep them from escaping. Well, yes, okay, but <laughs> it, it just seems like it's extremely inhumane. I guess in the way, okay, sure, in the way that all prison is. Yeah, okay. Anyway, agree to disagree on this, so. <laughs> sure. So uh, they got Maul, he's trapped in this little prison cage thing. Yeah. Yeah. But we kind of skipped over like the most important part of the whole sequence there. Okay, go for it. The conversation between Ahsoka and Maul. Yeah, th- this is a, this is going to blow your noggin. Yeah. So while they're fighting, Maul asks Ahsoka to help him defeat the Sith. And and she she says something about um wanting to restore like or, or bring bring the Sith to justice or something and and Maul has a really great line where he says something like the republic has already fallen you just can't see it and then he says something else about justice is justice is only in terms of those who are currently in power right and so he sort of he basically tells Ahsoka that he knows who the Sith Lord is. He knows who Darth Sidious is. He and Ah the Jedi can't beat him. The Republic can't beat him. But he and Ahsoka can beat him. And he reaches out her hand, his hand, and she says, "Okay, but I want you to answer one question." And he says, "Okay." And she says, "What do you want with Skywalker?" And he says, "Skywalker is everything." And he tells her about a vision that he had where Skywalker is going to become the new apprentice. And he said his whole plan to to create the Mandalorian Civil War was to lure Obi-Wan and Anakin there so he could kill Anakin and deprive Sidious of his new apprentice. Again, focus on revenge. Yes, but also preventing... Yeah, I mean, it's his revenge against the Sith and preventing the Sith from coming to power because they left him behind. And that was sort of where Ahsoka turns on him and says, no, I don't believe you. Anakin could never do that. And... And he'll never do that. And I reject you. And then Maul gets really pissed. And then the real, real fight starts. Right. And every time a Sith Lord tells a Jedi the actual truth as to what's happening, the Jedi refuse to believe him. And that's really disappointing. Yeah, it really is. Because, yes, and especially Maul. Like, I, this is where I feel like the Cassandra effect on Maul, where Cassandra is a, a Greek myth about a woman who is, has the gift of prophecy, but the curse that no one will ever believe her. And so Maul knows what's happening and he keeps telling the good guys the truth. And they're like, nah, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Well, it just boils down to the good guys can't handle the truth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so, so after that, so after that in, in the final fight in, um, you know, Ahsoka ends up getting disarmed. And while Maul still has his lightsaber, she manages to make him fall and then catches him with the force and just sort of suspends him. And he begs her to let him die. And she says no. And then her clones show up and they shoot these stun ropes on him. And then put him in the, in the, uh, the you know, force field coffin prison thing that we talked about before. Right. And so she turns him over to the Mandalorians and she needs to report back into the Jedi Council. And she speaks with Yoda and Mace Windu. Um, and who else is on that call? I feel like it's, oh, it's, it's Kaede Mundi and, um, uh, Don't we see Kanan Jarrus's, uh, master? Yeah. Uh, uh, Dipa Balaba. Maybe. I think is her name. And then I, I want to say, but I think he also talks to the three. I think it's Kit Fisto. 
and Kaatimundi and somebody else who who are about to go and arrest the chancellor, right? So she tells all of them, and they're like, "Hey, great job! Come on, bring him back to Coruscant, and we're gonna go. We're about to go like bust the Sith Lord." Right, but they don't tell her enough of the story. They don't tell her exactly what's happening with Anakin. They don't say exactly what's happening with the Chancellor because she basically says that she did her duty as a citizen and they're like, oh, well, thank you, citizen. Well, then we're not going to tell you things that are privy privy to Jedi members. So that's really unfortunate that they've got to spite between each other because I think if they had worked together, then it wouldn't have been you know, a little bit more information could have been shared. Yeah. Well, which is like a classic story trope, right? Where if everybody just told each other the truth, all the problems would not be the problem. Very true. So as we know in um, episode three, at this point, you know, uh, Mace Windu is going to get killed by Sidious. And then Sidious is going to uh, anoint Anakin as Darth Vader and then tell him, hey, it's time for Order 66. Yes. So... Where we find Ahsoka is on Mandalore with a bunch of clones, including her good friend Rex, as they all get the memo for Order 66. That's right. She's actually, I mean, they're, they're, on, this, they're on the starship heading back to Coruscant. And so they're in hyperspace and she's basically alone on a, on a ship full of clones. And when the order comes in, a door opens and it's Rex and, and the, you see some of his other guys um point their blasters at her and then he says no no i'll do it and you can see him kind of hesitate and fight it he's conflicted he is conflicted and he does not want to do it and then he manages to tell ahsoka to find fives before he starts taking shots at her and remind us who's fives again so fives was in season six of clone wars fives was or maybe season four or five i don't know no it was season it was part of season six okay yeah um there was a clone named Tup whose chip activated Order 66 a little bit early and he shot and killed a Jedi. And Fives was ordered to escort him to Kamino and the, the Kaminoans and Sidious try to cover up the existence of the chips and Order 66. And Fives investigates and figures it out and figures it out. And he ends up actually unraveling the whole story. And when he tries to tell Anakin and obi-wan about it um he is a little bit crazy himself and he's like he's overwhelmed by what he finds and he ends up picking up a blaster pointing it at some other clones and they kill him and so fives discovered the truth and then in the report that they gave the senate they they claimed that it was a virus uh, but but it it hadn't spread and it was just sort of a one-off thing but rex filed a complaint and said that he believed that Fives was onto something and that it was more than that. And that was in his file. And so he tells Ahsoka to find Fives and she manages to escape him and the other clones, pairs up with a bunch of astromech droids and starts doing some research and she finds out about the chip. Right. And what's interesting is she obviously doesn't have clearance anymore. So she uses Anakin's clearance and is able to get it. Yeah, she knows his password, which is pretty hilarious. Right, right. And I mean, I guess it goes to like the whole Master Apprentice thing that like you trust those people with your life and apparently your password. But when you decide to go to the dark side, then you didn't change your password. That's on well, you, I bro. Well, I mean, he, he, he went to the dark side like like literally an hour before. And to be fair, at the time, he was uh, he was blowing up the Jedi Temple and stuff at this point. So uh, like he had priorities before, over and above changing his password. 
I guess. And I know I lament it all the time, but maybe this is why you're supposed to change your password every 90 days. You never know who your apprentice is going to be 90 days from now. That, that's that's a great point. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Anyways. So basically, um, so Ahsoka goes running around the ship trying to find Rex now. She gets Rex. She brings him to a med bay. And while um, somewhere along the line, she decides to go and free Maul. And she basically tells, and Maul's like, great, we're going to work together. You should follow my lead. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not helping you. She's like, in fact, I'm not even rooting for you. She said, I just need you to create a distraction. And you're pretty good at that. So go. And and he asks her to give him a weapon. And she's like, no, I'm not trying to help you. Just go do stuff. I don't care. And so he goes running around and has a very awesome fight sequence down a hallway with a bunch of clones where just using the force and ripping things off the walls and whatever, he just crushes a lot of clones. Yeah, no, I mean, he shows his true ruthlessness here. And what's really disappointing is that there was that like little moment of hope where he thought once again, he was maybe going to have a shot to be like a master and apprentice relationship when Ahsoka came back and then his feelings get hurt. And he uses those hurt feelings to really like fuel his murderous rage. Well, yeah, that and the fact that, I mean, that he says the dark side's never been stronger. And you can just see that he's, he effortlessly just destroys all these clones because the dark side is is fully in, in charge of the force. Right. right and both he and Ahsoka felt Anakin's turn. Yes. And they also felt the slaughter at the Jedi Temple. Yes. So, yeah. like, you can hear the voices and you can see their face reaction and you know that they felt it. Yeah, absolutely. So. So um, Ahsoka manages to get Rex into a med bay and has his chip removed. And then Ahsoka and Rex um, try to escape the ship. And Ahsoka tells Rex, you know, don't kill the clones. And he said, well, they'll, they'll, they won't hesitate to kill you. And so they have this whole kind of teamwork thing where she deflects blaster bolts and he stuns clones. And they work their way through this whole ship you know, on plans that Rex made. So, you know, he, he knows, they know what he's going to do. He knows what they're going to do. And then somewhere in the middle of it, for reasons that I don't entirely understand, except that it creates drama, um, Maul goes into the hyperdrive room and basically smashes the engines with the force and crashes the ship into a planet. Right. And there's like only one, uh, you know, shuttle to escape on. Yeah. And Maul winds up getting to that shuttle before Ahsoka and Rex do. Yeah, and when he takes off in it, Ahsoka grabs it with the Force and very nearly pulls it back into the launch bay, showing off how just how powerful she's become in a short amount of time. Right, and she, like, right before Maul gets to the shuttle, she's like, hold hold the phone, we'll be there in just, like, a second. He's like, hey, this isn't a rescue mission. I thought you just wanted me to cause a ruckus. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, shoot, I should have been a little bit nicer to you. So um, as the ship is going down on the planet, you know, they kind of fight off a bunch of clones. They find one working B-Wing bomber and Rex manages to get in the cockpit. Ahsoka manages to, to fly her way through, through falling through space and get on board. And they fly away just as the cruiser crashes into the surface of the planet. Right. So they land on the planet and you see them just beside themselves. They're like, what are we going to do now? And it's, and I guess this is the reason why we had those four episodes of The Bad Batch, is we see the camaraderie between the clones. And then we see Rex and Ahsoka grab a couple of shovels. Yeah. And 
they spend the time to dig the grave for every single one of those clones. Yeah. And that's, we both cried a little bit, didn't we? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was really powerful. Yeah, because even though these guys just tried to kill them, you know, they were their brothers and they were their soldiers and they were their friends and they took the time to honor them properly. Right. And, and so at this point, we've got this really emotional, you know, graveyard and Ahsoka, she kind of pulls the cloak over her head. She's got, you know, I guess she kind of looks like a wizard with a long staff at this point instead of her lightsabers. Remember? She doesn't have a staff yet. That's you see the staff at the end of Rebels. I thought she had a staff. No, nah, she just has a cloak and then she's holding her lightsabers. Oh, okay. So she's holding her lightsabers and she puts them down. Yes. She decides she's done with the force. Yes. Sort of. Well, she... I interpreted it differently. She left... Because they left markers for all the clones that died. And they... Including... They left Rex's armor. Presumably with a different body in it. Right? So that it looked like Rex was dead. And she then left a little grave marker. But to complete the, the act of faking her death... She chose to leave her lightsabers there. So she left them behind. Wait, she's faking her death? Is that what just happened? Yeah. I thought she was leaving the Jedi for good. Well, she's also kind of doing that. But no, but she the reason she left the lightsabers there was to... So so she leaves a marker. To be fair, this is explained in a, in a canon book uh, called Ahsoka about this. But it ties right into what she does there. There's a what you it's it's kind of hard to see because the the camera moves fast on this. But there's actually like one like tombstone marker there, and the tombstone marker is hers, right? Because she doesn't have armor to leave there, right? So Rex's armor is there. Everybody else's armor is there. She leaves a grave marker with her own name on it, saying that Rex killed her, and then she leaves her lightsabers to complete the illusion that she's dead. My mind is blown right yeah. now. And that's and then and that's how she's that's part of how she's able to get away. So years later, Vader shows up yes. or months later. It's hard to know. Sometime it, later. Sometime later, Vader shows up and it's just really good music, really good cinematography as far as animation goes or whatever. And just kind of the lighting and everything. And Anakin walks straight to where the lightsabers are. Yeah. And so he reaches into the it's snowed. He reaches down into the snow, he picks up one of the lightsabers, and he turns it on. And this is the last time you ever see Anakin with a blue lightsaber. And he's holding it, and the camera pans out, and the, um, the owl that uh, often symbolizes Ahsoka is flying overhead, and he looks up and he sees it. And this is the owl, of course, that becomes her sort of avatar after... From the, the sister? From the mortis, from the daughter. Yeah. Right? That that has sort of followed her around since the uh, since the Mortis God sequence, which they all don't remember, but this but the owl has been with her since then, and so the owl is flying around, whether to indicate that she's alive or to indicate that she was there, it's not really clear. And then the pan out in the last scene, the last scene is you see Vader's silhouette in like reflected in the face mask of a clone helmet, and that is the end of the Clone Wars. Yeah, it's something. It's really very cool yeah yeah it's a really great ending it's the ending that the show deserved right i mean the show ended at season five with ahsoka leaving, ahsoka the, jedi leaving the jedi order which was a, a pretty good ending for the the show 
and could segue into episode three all right and then season six came out and it was just sort of a mishmash of stories and that wasn't really a fitting end this is a really truly fitting end for um a really great piece of of storytelling right and the other thing that i think that we didn't even talk about but it's definitely worthy of recognition it's just the quality of animation that they chose to use here so they, you know, at this point, Disney dollars are funding this. So no, no expense was spared. And the animation quality and the music that goes with it just out of this world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as far as like relationships go, there's really no, I mean, Padme's dead, you know, like there's really nothing happening here. Um, you know, what, what do we take away from this? So, so, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for Rex and Ahsoka and the bond, the bond that they've formed over the years um, and the length that she goes to protect him and the rest of the clones. You know, she says as the as the ship is crashing, Rex, you know, kind of tells her the clones will all, you know, they're ready to kill you. And she said, look, they may all die, but I'm not going to be one the one to kill them. And so just sort of the relationship she has with the clones that serve under her the relationship she has with Rex are are pretty powerful. And the fact that she and Rex now kind of have to go there, they go through this and then they have to go their separate ways to maintain the illusion that they're dead. And, and Rex having to leave, you know, the only life that literally the life that he was, he was created for um, is, is pretty powerful. And then of course there's, yeah, other, other than that though, there's, you know, not a whole lot of other kind of strong relationship things happening. You know, Maul looking for that, you know, looking to fill that void in his life. Um, but he manages to get away and go on to the things that we've talked about him doing. So, yeah, so th- that's probably the the most interesting sort of relationship in this one is is Rex and Ahsoka. And, you know, they're apart for, what, 15, 14 years? And right. then they meet again in Rebels. Yeah, and... It- I mean, when we meet Rex again, he's with some other uh, clones. So we know that he winds up finding his way throughout the galaxy. But I I think, you know, just from a relationship standpoint, you know, the relationship Ahsoka had with Anakin, where she, over the course of the last four episodes of season seven, realizes that there's a very good chance that Anakin has gone to the dark side. Um, She doesn't know for sure, but that sets up when we see her fight vader in uh rebels yeah that's right so yeah feels like we need to talk about rebels soon i think we do need to talk about rebels soon yeah and and the cool thing about rebels is we've got like an actual couple that is you know somewhat healthy together some of the time yes yeah yeah far more so than uh padme and anakin ever for sure that is that is definitely true yes Yeah. yeah so which i mean again like if you're part of the same terror cell and you're in like a relationship then there is a certain element that's not going to be healthy but we'll we'll talk about that soon sounds great right i love you i know <laughs>